100 best movies of all time, only if they're super white. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That moment when you realize all the movie recommendations are from straight white people. When when you look at the AFI top 100 list and all you can think is, okay, boomer. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it in. Roll the credits. from the void and welcome to another episode of chronic media consumption my name is kelly and i'm still michelle and today if you didn't already guess we're discussing the afi's top 100 movies lists and i do say lists because there are two well they have quite a few lists beyond just the the top 100 movies but that's the one they're most well known for like if you go to their site and you just say search lists they have massive amounts of lists but the top 100 is what gets touted around they make posters for you to like scratch off which ones you've seen and they have challenges and all these things and you know looking at those lists not always sure why things have made it on (laughs) for real like it's it's really quite confusing like we have we have both the original list that was released in 1998 and the 10th anniversary list, which was released in 2007, we haven't seen a top 100, just top 100 best movies of all time released since then. It has not been updated since 2007, and I think they're kind of overdue at this point. But of these of these two lists, there's a bunch of movies that keep making lists no matter what, and I'm not really sure why. I have my reasons. Uh, but, like, these... <laughs> I was actually in high school taking a little high school film course, which was really nothing at all, taught by a person who really, I don't think, enjoyed teaching. But the one thing that I really remember from that class is she gave us a printout of the American Film Institute's Top 100 list. And I love films. I always have. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated them. as I kind of grew into them a lot more when I went into college. And... My roommate and I, during our freshman year of college, decided, hey, we're going to look at this list and we're going to try to see as many of them as possible. So if we ever see any of them coming up on TV, we're going to make sure to record them and then watch them later so we can scratch them off the list. We started off kind of strong. And (laughs) then and then I I ooh, I decided to throw in the towel a lot sooner than she did. And I'm pretty sure she regrets it. So. Yeah, those they, there's some doozies on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the one that made me the one that made me go, you know what? I think I'm done with this list is A Clockwork Orange. And yeah. I know, Michelle, you've heard me talk about this before. I cannot stand that movie. I don't know why, why somebody decided to make this. I've never been able to finish it. I've had so many people recommend it to me. I've never been able to get Who through it. Who are these it. people? <laughs> lots of people. Mostly men, but lots of people. Of and it's still been like, oh, yeah, this is a great film. Like, it, is it? I don't... Mm. It's this side. It's it's this side of a snuff film. Yeah. In my opinion. it's It's really, really rough. Supposedly, these characters are supposed to be like disaffected youths right like they're supposed to be teenagers 
I suppose, yeah. during the time of this. It's, I mean, uh, no. The imagery they're... is interesting, but I feel that the graphic nature overshadows It's things. so violent. Oh and my god, it's so violent. It's and it's tr- it's from the 70s? Yeah. And they're really trying to get it like in your face and be able to confront these issues, confront this thing that like it's intended to be uncomfortable, you know, and in 1971, I imagine it was very uncomfortable, but I feel that it's just mm, again I've never finished it. So maybe if I finally make it through one day, but I I can I, tell you how it ends. Like it's it's really upsetting. What point did you make it to? I don't even remember at this point. I just remember being very confused and uncomfortable with their outfits be like to begin yeah. with. I'm like, what it's was like the point of this? Jock straps over over like long johns? Yeah. And a bowler hat. Like I don't what I don't understand what it was meant to be and I don't think I was supposed to. That's one of the things that's interesting about this list and how it needs to be a living list because the impact on society, the relevance, I feel is lost to us now that we're 50 years away from when this film was released. Oh, I 100% agree. Maybe there was a way bigger impact when it initially came out. I I believe it was a cult classic because it didn't have critical success and it didn't have box office success. But well, yeah, that's actually a good point. Before we get too much deeper into this, I do want to bring up how these films were ranked. Mm -hmm. This is found on Wikipedia. They specifically state that the films were ranked according to these terms. Featured length, they have to be a narrative format at least 60 minutes long, so no documentaries are included in this. It's telling one cohesive story. It has to be an American film, English language, with significant creative and or financial production elements from the U.S. So while some of these movies are foreign-made, like British-made films, but they were distributed by or funded by American dollars. Their critical recognition, so formal commendation in print, They're major award winners, so recognition from competitive events, including awards from organizations in the film community and major film festivals. So think like Sundance, the Academy, all of those. Popularity over time, including figures for box office adjusted for inflation, television broadcasts and syndication, and home video sales and rentals, which I think is why It's a Wonderful Life appears on both of these. Yep, yep. And then... Historical significance, so a film's mark on the history of the moving image through technical innovation, visionary narrative devices, or other groundbreaking achievements, which I believe is why Star Wars and Toy Story are on these lists. That makes sense. And then cultural impact, a film's mark on American society in matters of style and substance, which I think is lacking just a little bit if we take a look at all of these lists. These, <laughs> these I feel that we've had a lot more innovations and breakthroughs in various forms that aren't on this list and some of the things on the list feel like they're on there because some pretentious people like have gotten used to it being on there or because yes yeah like like enough people started telling each other that it was oh yeah this is so good high brow 
and they kind of make themselves feel superior to other people who don't like the film. They're just like, oh, well, you just didn't understand it. It's like when someone is drinking a really terrible wine, but it's expensive. And they're like, oh, this wine, it's so blah, blah, blah. And they list off all these notes and they taste it. And like, it smells like, it tastes like smoky oak and it's gross. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be like, I don't want it to be an experience like I'm licking the inside of a burnt barrel. Exactly. That's not pleasant to me. Exactly. And then they're just like, well, you just don't understand. I have a refined palate. And I'm like, no, you're just bullshitting I, yourself. I don't want to alienate anybody who might be listening, but this does kind of sound like Rick and Morty fans. <laughs> oh, you, you just don't get it. You just don't understand it. I don't have to understand it to still dislike it. Yes, it's and I I've seen clips that were very, very interesting with Rick and Morty that were like, oh, wow, this is really like an interesting commentary. Very cool. But as a body of work, not for me. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the same like Simpsons is another one where there's episodes and scenes and components that I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. And then as a body of work, I'm like, I can't there's too much not for me i am so sorry i i i do want to to just address the the a clockwork orange was the reason why i stopped trying to achieve my top 100 goal simply because watching someone being beaten almost to death with a probably like a three foot statue of a phallus was not my idea of entertainment and so when i stopped my roommate had decided at the time that she was going to keep continuing on without me. The next movie that showed up on our list was Citizen Kane. And so I was in the room when she decided to start watching that. And it was about 15 minutes before she started whining about how boring it was. <laughs> and then it just devolved from there. It got so much worse. At one point, she had slipped from off her bed onto the floor and was writhing on the floor going, oh my god, it's so boring. It's so long. And I'm like, you can just shut it off. And she goes, no, I have to finish it. I was like, you're not even listening. You're not even paying attention to what's going on. She goes, because it's so boring. I was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm putting my headphones on. I'm going to play some snood and just ignore whatever the hell is going on here. Yeah. <laughs> It, so I felt very, very vindicated? affirmed. In <laughs> vindicated. My, yes, vindicated. Vindicated <laughs> in my decision to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> it's so funny to me because there are some on here that are, that are I find very enjoyable. Some that I'm a little surprised have made it on here. And there's mm -hmm. some that um, watching them, I I only know they're on the list because the, the, they're a classic, not because it was a, a classic film to me, but almost because, uh, I, I don't know how to say this. I'm like, I'm not getting the words out correctly. I'm trying to well, say like the, the value of the film is because somebody said this is a classic and everyone not wanting to feel left out jumped on that bandwagon. Ah, yes. Yes, I get what you mean. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at, like, I, I've broken it down to what decade each of these films mm -hmm. was released in and the breakdown of those top 100s are very interesting and i think very telling mm -hmm. 
because the majority of the films in this list are from, let's say, the 1950s to the 1970s. That takes up the bulk of this mm-hmm. list, the most of them being from the 1950s, with a whopping 21 of these films being from the 1950s. And that's that's just telling me that the people who were putting these movies on the list had been born probably some point in the 40s. Yeah. And the movies that they ranked highest were the ones that they viewed, as you said to me when we were not on the air, formative during years. their formative years. Yeah. Exactly. You're, you're right, because those are the ones that make an impact to them. That's what they were like, oh, well, this is what cinema is. This is what the world is. These are the ones that were groundbreaking because they saw them in the theater. They were talking about it around the water cooler. They were chatting it with their friends when they were in high school. They were talk- like having posters of these in their dorms in college. Like These are the things that, to them, were very definitive. And also the ones that were older were probably things that their parents told them about or that they watched with people that they were able to understand. It is interesting. And I see you're changing the list because I had it sorted by year. Sorry, I was sorting it by by alphabet because I realized that Titanic was on this list on the updated 10th anniversary edition list. And I was like, yeah, that was definitely one of the movies that was on probably my list when I was in my teens and 20s because I saw that when I was in high school that's when it was released and I listened to the soundtrack to death to the point where I have trouble actually listening to anything by Celine Dion at this point I I had a few that I initially was thinking these are these are really good i have issues with gone with the wind but not because of the cinematography or the film itself just because of the subject matter and i think scarlett o'hara should have died a long time ago but uh... i've never actually seen i've never seen gone with the wind it's one of my best friends favorite absolute top three favorite movies of all time but i have never seen it 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 is an interesting film. It is worth watching, but having the cultural context and like the story of how it was filmed and what was happening at the time and the issues of race that are all tied up in that time period and the time period it was portraying, like all of that is very interesting. Scarlett O'Hara is not a sympathetic character. I know some people are like, oh, wow, she's the heroine. I was like, She's a spoiled, dumb girl from the South. She may be the main character, but she's not the protagonist, if you know what I mean. Yeah, nah. Nah, Rhett <laughs> Butler, though. I mean, he also had some issues, but he was much more of like an interesting, complicated character. And there were others in there. But we're not going to dive too deep into that. But that one, totally understand why it's on there and like the power that it had. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington very interesting, very dynamic. One of those that's showing the naivete reaching and interacting with the political savvy and the, the, the dangers of politics in Washington, you know, and and there's many others, the Philadelphia story, really interesting. Casablanca. uh, I didn't like that movie. (laughs) Yeah. I, I I had to watch that because I, for those of you that have listened to our, our podcasts before i took 
quite a few film classes in high school and college and there were a lot of films a lot of old movies that Mm -hmm. i had to watch casablanca was one of them along with an entire semester of westerns which i didn't realize that i actually enjoyed until that class Mm -hmm. except for the good the bad and the ugly i could never watch that movie and i hate the soundtrack that's another story for another day i i love so many of the other ones that are a fistful of dollars and so many good ones well, like, Westerns for example, are amazing. they're just, they're, they're, mm, okay. So <laughs> they're stage terrible. Coach, I love them. <laughs> Stagecoach was, I think one of the first real big Westerns. And that was in 1939. I want to say that was the first John Wayne Western. That should be on this list. It, it is. I'm looking at number 63 for the original. Is it? Oh, okay. But it's not on the um, new one. Yeah. They, they kept they Citizen kind of Kane, but got rid of Stagecoach. Okay. No, I think they kind of removed a few <laughs> of the Westerns from the mm. newer list and replaced them with other things. They put a lot of Charlie Chaplin, which I found interesting. Anyway, but like Stagecoach was a very interesting film to me because it was all about the pioneer days and the conquering of going, of moving West, you know, the, the manifest destiny of this country. And as a cinematic and technical piece of work, it was gorgeous for the time absolutely beautiful even now it still kind of holds up as far as the technical aspects of it but it's still a very dated film and there are things that we need to address about it just like we need to address a lot of these Mm -hmm. i i find it interesting that on the very first list here there's only two animated films snow white and fantasia yeah everything else is live action And I do see that there is a huge theme that there are a lot, a lot of the movies from before like the 1960s, a lot of them happen to be interpretations of works that had been in existence before, like plays or books, like, like big classic literature. Yeah. So Fantasia, oh man, like that, that should still be on the list. I agree. That that was beautiful beautiful innovative it re-energized people's appreciation for classical music it reinterpreted Mm -hmm. things it showed that it didn't have to be a certain view whatever was in your head could be what it meant and what i find interesting is that what they stated in their criteria for ranking these movies as that it had to have a narrative format fantasia doesn't necessarily do that they were little shorts all spread throughout because i was going to say narrative format it has to be one cohesive story from beginning to end but fantasia doesn't do that so it doesn't it does have a format it does they do tell stories but yes multiple stories it's like an anthology movie yeah none of these other films fit into that kind of format all of them are a one cohesive story if there are multiple stories told within the same film then they usually overlap and interact with each other, kind of like the Love Actually kind of scenario, where you've got a whole bunch of things that you think are happening independently, but they are all related to each Mm -hmm. other. Fantasia is not that. Yeah, but I think they didn't define the narrative format enough to like make it, oh, this means it has to be blah, because there was some narrative format within it. Mm -hmm. And I think that opens it up a little bit to the type of films that we could see on this list. And yet. And yet. It is the only one that does not fit that standard. Depending on how you define it. Yes. Right. Depending on how you define it. 
all of these are one coherent narrative from beginning to end, except for Fantasia. Every like there are so many other films that we could watch, like Ooh, Run Lola Run. Mm-hmm. I know it's not an American film, mm-hmm. but Run Lola Run is actually a very interesting film that I think is kind of something that could be opened up is the kind of film that could be opened up on this list if we saw more of more like it like memento is a story told backwards mm-hmm. run lola run is a woman who finds herself in a predicament and then three different stories happen to the same person depending on what she chooses it's yeah. like a choose your own narrative film i love it mm-hmm it's a German film, so it wouldn't be on this list. But, like, that could be something that we could explore. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's films that also have kind of explored and, and changed things a little bit in, in that regard. Where you're not sure what you're what you're seeing. Inception is one that's just, you know, the cinematography, the the scale and scope is fascinating. And it's, right, the you use know, of the CG. Yeah. exactly a dream within a dream the the use of the music the soundtrack mm. being able to tell you what part of the dream you're in very very interesting um, on on the same level interstellar the music mm-hmm. in that film mm-hmm. when they're on the distant distant planet like i uh, again i haven't seen this film <laughs> but on the distant distant planet every time you hear a click in the music as they're going that's one year. full year on mm-hmm. earth passing Mm-hmm. And it happens just about every second, second and a half. And like, that's, that's fascinating to me. That kind of stuff, those, those little tiny, tiny little details that open up the world of the movie so much more. Yeah. Like, I love that crap. Oh. I love that too. And like the, the way they did Tenet. So I personally didn't enjoy the movie Tenet. It wasn't Same. for me. It was interesting, but it wasn't for me. But I have to admit that they did some very cool stuff with mm-hmm. their use of perspective and the flow of time and how the first time through you miss stuff. And then you have to go back and be like, wait, wait, whoa, 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 this guy was going backwards the whole time. How did I not know that? So it's some very cool stuff that they're they're throwing in and those are those types of films that you're like oh this is changing how i per- perceive things my and I mean, expectations tenet is a christopher nolan film correct i'm not sure probably as i think i think it is and it would make sense for tenet to be a christopher nolan film because memento is also a christopher nolan film and he likes to do that whole like yep christopher nolan that, futzing around with time thing and inception <laughs> as well yeah. yeah yeah he he loves the idea of of kind of messing around with the dynamics and of of time the physics of time i guess yeah it's and fascinating but sometimes narratively it doesn't work <laughs> he, he i think one of the things he these types of movies do well is they the the audience is a character in the movie because the perspective of the audience drives things and reveals things, but reveals them at the at the place that they want to reveal them. Like it's in it's intentional. It's not something that you can usually guess. Which a right. lot of time with shows like this, it, you're easily able to you know follow along. 
I will not bash a film that I can figure out and guess because most of the time I like that. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, I made it. I connected the dots. And then yeah, predictability, like that's a whole nother topic that we're going to go over on another date. But the predictability of things is for some people it's annoying. And for others, it's like, it's like a challenge. Yeah. And it's not inherently bad. Like it drives me crazy when people are like, oh, we need to, we need to change things. Everyone's guessing what it is on Twitter. So it means you're doing a good job. You foreshadowed it well. Just Mm -hmm. own it. Move on. Yeah. We're talking to you, Marvel. Um, <laughs> and Star Wars. Star Wars. I know. Why? That's that's another day. <laughs> I'm not going to get upset today. No, no. But it's, it's definitely interesting looking at these lists and realizing the people they, they decided to honor the, the, the types of films that they put in here. Some would say that they favor Oscar bait. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so 100%. It's, it's not really a film that was impactful to society, except that people keep talking about it enough that it's become part of the lexicon. But yeah, these... it's, it's part of the zeitgeist. It's, exactly. If, if, you're, if you're an adult in this day and age right now and you haven't seen Wizard of Oz, people are looking at you like, what? How is that possible? That's a movie that is so old. It's all, it's getting close to a hundred years old now at this point. Mm-hmm. And yet there are still people saying, if you have never seen the wizard of Oz, what are you doing? Yeah. That's how ingrained in our culture it is. I say the same thing about Dr. Strangelove. Yep. Yeah. I, I can see that. And that's a little bit more obscure. I'll <laughs> it say is, it is. I didn't see that until I was fully, a fully grown adult. I um, good. Good. Cause that probably would have <laughs> damaged things. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I, 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 my dad used to talk about it a lot when, when I was a kid, but like when yeah. I watched it as an adult, it was like, oh, oh, this is what you're, oh. Oh, speaking of other films that are similar to that, that I think could be on this, Rocky Horror Picture Show is a classic, right? That's another cult classic. Cult That's classic. One that, it is. That a lot of people didn't really see during its, its first release. But did you know that there is an unofficial sequel? To Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm pretty sure you sent me the TikTok, so I, I am now. I did. <laughs> Shock treatment. I'm curious to see it, too. I really am. I am, too. I'm just like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I'm always curious about, like, really weird cult classics and seeing that there are continuations or films that have been made by the same group of people. Like... Anything by Monty Python, you can guarantee that I would be willing to watch. And it's mm-hmm. why I've ended up watching a lot of Terry Gilliam's works, like uh, Brazil, which mm-hmm. I don't actually recommend 100%, Mm-mm. but like Fisher King is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting space. You know, one of the things I found interesting, they put MASH on here, and I'm surprised that it's on here. I, I agree, MASH is a really impactful movie. But the series is more impactful. Like the the overall, I mean, first of all, the series lasted longer than the Korea War did. But the series covered some fabulous, nuanced ways of showing grief, war, PTSD, sexual assault, trauma. And they did not pull punches. It is a very interesting thing that sometimes I'm surprised is so popular because a lot of people 
glorify things and mash did not yeah <laughs> it all there's it's and you'll see waves of this throughout like throughout television history you'll see what becomes popular based on what's going on in the world like a lot of zany weird comedies happen and become super popular during the time when everyone is really stressed out and then like the really intense dramas the ones that are just like oh my god can you believe that happened oh my god the ones that are are based in reality not the ones like lost but the ones that are actually like based in reality like west wing those mm -hmm. those things that were really intense and smart and witty dramas are during a time of relative peace hmm. i'd say mm -hmm. like a relative calm in and yeah, yeah it it's it's like when it's I wrote very my I wrote my most emo poetry when I was most calm and happy. Yeah. See, I used to write the when I was uh, much younger, <laughs> back in like high school, college, and just after college. I used to write a lot more melodramatic romance mm -hmm. when I was single as hell. Yep. <laughs> and then when I finally found a relationship that I was happy in, I couldn't write anything. I literally didn't... I went. I you went through a dry spell for like two, three years. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I, wow. You just didn't need the outlet. It's so interesting yeah. how that works, right? Yeah, it's really interesting. But this is digressing just a smidge, but I really like what we're talking about. We can talk about a lot of things like that on another episode. Mm -hmm. So those different ones that are on here, some somebody likes them. That's fine. I I'm gonna I'm gonna fess up to something. People are gonna say I, I gotta give in my film film fan license. But card card whatever. I don't like The Godfather. Thank you. <laughs> I don't either. Okay, <laughs> we're not alone. Hey, here's another here's another one. Are you ready? Ready? What? I don't like Rocky. I didn't either. Okay. <laughs> I don't, but then on top of that, I'm not a huge, like, I don't like most of Stallone's movies. So that's. Part yeah, I, of... I can see that. But also, like, early Stallone is a completely different breed of, like, mid 90s Stallone and current Stallone. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Like, it. it ooh. Ooh. <laughs> The well, Godfather, as far as like, I mean, and it's it's another adaptation of a book that that was like, okay, we're learning about the mafia from sort of from the perspective of the one who's going to be inheriting the title of Godfather mm -hmm. in this mafia and like what he goes through. Okay. Eh, it oh. was it felt very slow. It didn't it's I didn't so feel like slow. the stakes were they weren't. Like, they didn't make me go, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? I was sitting there going, uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I, I felt the same. I also felt like it was a little more of a documentary yeah. in some ways. And a documentary about a subject I don't care about. Yeah. Godfather um, was one that I actually watched in my high school film class. So, of course, it was high school. I didn't watch it in one go. It was told through a couple of different days. Well... One of the funny things for for this for me is the most interesting or most interested I ever got in The Godfather was after watching You've Got Mail. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. Monday, <laughs> Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday. You have to go to the mattress. Tom and Hanks. Oh, my exactly. God. Exactly. And so after Tom Hanks did that whole bit, he's like, yeah. 
<laughs> take the cannoli. I was like, okay, I'll go and I'll give it a shot and I'll watch it. And then I was just like, like your roommate writhing on the floor in agony being like, what is this? I don't care. Yeah. It's so interesting because I can watch 500 hours of a slow as hell Chinese drama or Korean drama and just sit there the whole time being like, look at all of the nuances of the facial expressions. But this, I was like, I don't care. But even in, 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 if you go into that, that's where we get a little bit fun of number one, different cultures, number two, different storytelling themes, because like TV shows can be told in a different format than films do. I actually just watched this, this like kind of, kind of an essay series on Netflix. I believe Mm. it's called War, V-O-I-R. And it's a, a series of of visual essays being told by the people who wrote them about their experiences with these films and how they changed their lives and how it impacted them. And one of them was specifically regarding the difference between a film format and a television format. And they literally had a couple of examples where the same situation or the same story was being told via TV and via film by the same director and showing how it changed based on which format they were in. It was fascinating. That sounds really cool. it, It was really cool. It was how a conversation between two people on TV, you're watching the person that is speaking. Whereas on film, you're watching the person who is listening because you're watching their reaction. It's, it's, oh, it's fascinating. I highly recommend it. It's on Netflix right now. I believe it's called Voir, V-O-I-R. And it's, there's these short little, like, 45 minute to an hour episodes that go over, like, there's one all about Jaws. There's one all about, again, the difference between TV and film. There's, there's a whole bunch of the, it's, it's a short series, but I, I really want them to continue it because I ate that up so fast but yeah like that that's something that is really interesting because like watching something like the godfather and knowing that it is a a two-hour long story beginning to end there's no breaks in the middle it's done differently than there would be for like the untamed where it's each episode starts and ends and they have different nuances and again there's a different culture yeah so I could talk about this shit for hours. Oh my God. So this, this is kind of circling me back to one of the points I meant to bring up is early on. The, one of the things that I'm pleased to see and I'm hopeful that will continue and actually happen is AFI acknowledging that their lists are a product of the time. So on their website, they have a really great statement that they say, since its inception, American film has marginalized the diversity of voices that make our nation and its story strong. And these lists reflect that intolerable truth. AFI acknowledges its responsibility in curating these lists that has reinforced this marginality and looks forward to releasing new lists that will embrace our modern day and drive culture forward. That brings me to like makes me think of the Warner Brothers Looney Tunes disclaimer that they post Mm -hmm. where they say, you know, 
these cartoons are a product of their time and may depict some of the ethnic and racial prejudices that were commonplace in American society. But they don't flinch away from it. They don't try to bury it or hide or say, like, this doesn't exist. They acknowledge right. that it's there and that these things are kind of a view that they do not re represent the view of today's society. These cartoons were being represented as they were originally created because to do otherwise would be the same as claiming their prejudices never existed. So, mm -hmm. which is definitely not the way we want to go. Mm -hmm. So I love that, you know, we're acknowledging that and that, you know, as we're coming through and we're critiquing the original list and even the newer list, we're not saying that, there's no opportunity for a better list and you know, we have some suggestions for things to add to it but it's also they aren't free from criticism <laughs> just because they've acknowledged that exactly they need to be adjusted one of the the things that i found on wikipedia was that there was a criticism of the original list in 1998 a, a let's see the chicago reader published an article by film critic jonathan rosenbaum which offers a detailed response to the movies in the afi list the original as well as criticism of the afi's appropriation of british films so, such as lords of arabia albeit with aforementioned american funding and the third man Rosenbaum also produced an alternative list of 100 American movies that he felt had been overlooked by the AFI. And Rosenbaum chose to present this alternative list alphabetically since to rank them according to merit would be, quote, tantamount to ranking oranges over apples or declaring cherries superior to grapes, end quote. Very good points. And the 10th anniversary edition of the AFI list actually includes five titles from Rosenbaum's list, it, which includes uh -huh. Do the Right Thing. And the accompanying promotional poster lists the titles in alphabetical order rather than by rank. Wow. Well, yeah. that's So that's they sweet. acknowledged it in a way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but they, they also... They, at least they, we can see that they are taking the criticisms and they are responding. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very yeah. interesting. I... Ah, man, this is so... Lawrence of Arabia, that film has... Actually, that's one of the things that they talk about in Voir as well. And I'm like, Ooh. wow, I, I like how this person seemed really moved by the movie, but I'm not going to watch it. Mm-mm. I mm -hmm. don't want to. <laughs> My grandmother loved that film, and I'm... Nope, nope, nope. So there's also a noticeable bias for like an ethnic bias on this because there is not a lot of diversity as far as the producers directors even you know lead actors in these films they're pretty whitewashed they are pretty mayonnaise yes May yes they are and i know that for a period of time a lot of the film that is more widely known and available that did have diversity in it was not good representation or often it was basically what that that torture porn the, the white savior stuff that's that's no. not good and you know that that's not much better than you know having nothing at all but there are films out there that could be on this list and I've seen people who make their recommendations. There's also opportunities for you know Native American films to be on this list. I don't mm -hmm. think there's a single one. And The closest you get is The Searchers, and that's not exactly what we wanted to mm -hmm. advertise as a Native positive film. 
yeah. So there's a lot of opportunity for these. And I know that some people will argue that they can have their own list. There could be a different list. But why? Why do they have to have a different list? And they should be included in this list and then also highlight the the massive list of all the other things that are out there. But by excluding them for what you're claiming to be the top 100, you're making some interesting claims that these... Actually, because now that I've started talking about Boar, it's always, it's, it's all of the movies are starting to come back to my head. The movie 48 Hours is not on here. Or not on mm. either of these lists. And I find that kind of telling. It was the first movie where Eddie Murphy was viewed as a serious actor. I haven't seen it, but watching that episode on Voir made me want to watch it because it shows the dynamic post-civil rights movement. I believe it was like late 70s, early 80s. 82. That, And it's the, the relationship between cop Nick Nolte and criminal Eddie Murphy. Yep. And how Eddie Murphy has to go along with this cop in order to bring down a bigger bad guy, even knowing that Eddie Murphy is going to be going back to prison at the end of the experience. He's not going to be set free. Mm-hmm. And it shows the the power dynamic between the two of them, especially based on where they are at the time. There are two scenes that kind of mirror each other. One in a honky-tonk bar where Eddie Murphy is clearly the odd man out. Yeah. And then another one in a very black dominant bar where Nick Nolte is immediately pegged as a, as a cop. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's fascinating to see how their their attitudes completely shift based on where they are. Trading Places kind of does this in a comic way, mm-hmm. but 48 Hours does it in a very serious way where like the good the you kind of root for them, but you know that they're not going to be coming to good ends in the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a happy happy ending but it's still powerful. And the way that it was described in this show was was really interesting and it makes me want to watch it because I have not ever seen it. I've seen it, but it's been a while. I think I saw it like maybe in my like late teens, but it that scene that the, the dichotomy that you just mentioned is one of the things that really sticks out because of the, you know, everybody in the bar going silent. <laughs> You're like, "Mm, okay." Yeah, like Who's going to die first? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's that, yeah. It's literally, it's everybody. Oh, it's, it's the time when you're in school and one, one wise ass kid calls out the teacher and the entire class goes, <laughs> oh, and they're yep. just waiting to see if the teacher is going to roll with it or if he's going to get himself beat. Yeah. And there's, you know, some very interesting sh- uh, movies that are, out here that have been made for decades and decades and decades from many different people that could be uh, reviewed on here. I know that the, the top ones that stick out to me that I'm like really moved by, I don't, I, I mean, I can't be the person who's claiming like, this is the perfect film for black people. I don't think either of us can speak. Yeah, that. that's not going to be the thing, but I, I've made it a point to try to diversify what I see so that I'm getting things from different perspective. And there are definitely some films where I'm like, I'm not the target audience because I'm not get I'm not getting the jokes. I'm not understanding these like situations, but mm-hmm. it's awesome to see that there's getting representation in here. And I'm not going to sit here and like complain about it. I'm just gonna be like, that one's not for me. 
that's fine. There's the the weird situation that happens where they have the British film and black film, but it's the same film. Oh, Death at a Funeral. They've is, had death. Uh, the one that comes to mind. They did Death at a Funeral. There's there's other ones that I'm thinking of that like this is this isn't Death at Funeral is the main one, but I feel like it's happened a few times. Well, there have been I know from watching episodes of Community, they had a couple of moments where they would reference a film that was predominantly white, and the two black characters would name a different film that was cast predominantly black that was basically the same story. Yep. And it was Can't Find Me Love and Love Don't Cost a Thing. And they were, it was a couple instances where they did that throughout the, the show. And I thought that was very telling of our, our society at this point. That, like, we're still so separate in the films that we watch. Yeah. Like, because they're not... <sighs> the cultural perspective is different. And we, we have... Like, everyone says, like, oh, it's a melting pot. And we're like, yeah, but people are still separated through yeah, socioeconomic status. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, our socioeconomic status, the cultural barriers that we have, there's a lot of crossover, but there's also a lot of things that are unique and that's great we just need to you know communicate more with each other so we get those things and it's not the responsibility of the people who are a minority to make that happen so you know working on on making sure those things are more i mean if we could bring up i i know we're straying a little bit here but like i'm just thinking of the show in living color i love that show so much and how that that brought a lot, I think a lot of white households into black comedy, I think. Mm-hmm. Because I know I know my family really loved In Living Color when I was a kid, which yeah. I found interesting. You know, Jim Carrey being the token white guy of the show and the entire Wayans family in that show. That show was fantastic. It's so good. <laughs> and it was a launch pad for so many people. So, you know, Jim Carrey was... The, you know, the token white guy. They David had Kelly Cofield Park. J-Lo Rosie was Perez. one of the fly girls. Yeah, Rosie Perez, I think, was also one of the fly girls. Yeah, so, like, they had... And, oh. and Paula Abdul, I think, was was the choreographer for them. I yeah, think. I think I think you're correct. And they, they had some awesome stuff. Their skits were amazing. They, they, <laughs> they were all over the place, but they were so creative. And... Yeah. And in that time period, too, when they were on was during a time where SNL was kind of having a lull. Mm -hmm. They didn't have their best cast. So In Living Color kind of filled the void. They did. They did. You know, and speaking of other, did you ever watch Living Single? I did not. Oh, Queen Latifah. God, I love that, that show so much. It's one of my favorite sitcoms. And whenever people are like, oh, man, I like friends. I'm like, there's things about friends that are okay, like that are nice. I have issues with friends. I'm not like full on diehard about it. A lot of the characters and couples don't make sense to me. But actually in the middle of watching it right now, I just got past um, Monica and Chandler's wedding. (laughs) I'm in the middle of watching it. Yeah. The primary couple that I went, what? See, I love that. I love it. And that's it. fine. And I that's thought fine. that I'm I'm one of the only people in this entire country that think that Joey and Rachel made 100% sense to me. That I, I mean, hated that Ross and Rachel ended up together. I hated that, that Ross and Rachel ended up together. I hated that Ross ended up anything. With anybody. Ross, <laughs> Ross should have just 
become a fossil. But I I could see Joey and Rachel making sense that there are justifications that could have worked. My preferred version is that Monica ended up with Tom Selleck because that was, I felt, awesome. They were fabulous. And then she was just so insecure and crazy and then i was like joey and chandler make way more sense (laughs) well (laughs) did you know that chandler was actually supposed to be gay so i have researched this thoroughly and the writers always wanted to play him being gay as a joke from the very beginning so really yes that's upsetting exactly it was it's very upsetting because it's the product of the time. They just always thought it was going to be funny. So he played it that way legitimately. Like he was like, sure, I'll, I'll go with these. And if somebody else had said the same line, it would have been either really flamboyant or like toxic. But he came out and he walked that line so well that people were like, is he? Isn't he? And that tension carried through. But it was because they always wanted to make it a make it a joke and make it a laugh. They weren't thinking of him being with Monica from the very beginning, but no. they were like they were never going to have him be gay. And I mean, let's be fair. A lot of people do not give Matt Perry credit. He, for his he, he is his very he is yeah he's very he good he was in some really shitty movies in the 90s and early 2000s that is not his fault but like oh my god the whole nine yards and the whole 10 yards with bruce willis mm-hmm. and amanda pete fantastic i loved those movies they're absolutely great and i even liked fool's russian even though it was eh it was kind I, of an eh movie, i also I liked, liked fool's russian and then matthew perry is just absolutely amazing in the other roles that he's taken his his role in studio 60 the short-lived aaron sorkin tv show on nbc Mm -hmm. that was a phenomenal show and he played that character so well and i think he also played that character really well because of his own experiences Mm -hmm. because matthew perry does struggle with addiction and his character on the show also struggles with addiction. And there's a whole story was that, arc. Was that the show Go On? No, I'm talking about Studio 60. Oh, gotcha. Studio gotcha. 60 on the Sunset Strip. Go On I enjoyed too. I thought that was really upsetting when that got canceled too. But Studio 60 was really interesting because it's a show about what it's what it's like to run mm-hmm. a weekly sketch comedy show like mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live. And he's a writer and is an executive producer on it yeah it's fascinating to watch his character go through that knowing his actual past because you can see it you can see it on friends there's the season where he goes from one from one shape to another shape <laughs> he's mm-hmm. like a com- he changes completely and it's supposed to be the same night and it's it's really unnerving to watch that but knowing what he was going through it totally makes sense as to why mm-hmm but like that's one of those where they they had a lot of potential with the story. They were also experimenting a lot more with having a much more active and involved fan base, having mm-hmm. way more technology to allow people to respond real time to things. That people were going and getting their hair done in the Rachel. You know, they they were way more involved than than previous. But Living Single was a sitcom about a group of friends living in an 
apartment and then across the way or upstairs technically were two guys living in an apartment there was relationships interactions really fun interesting characters queen latifah was so good in that she khadijah just love her maxine shaw powerful black woman lawyer who runs for councilwoman and is like the most amazing brash just oh a flawless i love her she if i could grow up to be anyone i would want to be maxine shaw and like all the characters and relationships and stories were so good and though there was some conflict one of the things that i was so impressed with is it was never toxic and that's what friends failed to do because i think that they had some moments of quite a few moments where you're just like this isn't healthy this and this isn't a good representation but living single you're just like even when things were bad even when somebody went behind somebody else's back or they said something that they shouldn't have or they couldn't commit so they told somebody they just couldn't be in a relationship at the time and that broke someone's heart you saw the different sides and there was a resolution they were adults they treated it like adults and it was I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that Friends was a an overwhelmingly white production from start to finish versus Living Single not being. I mean... Because I think from a white, cis, straight perspective, a lot of behaviors that are toxic are seen as normal yeah. for a really long time. And it's only now that we're really, like, in the last maybe decade or so that we're really starting to call that crap out for what it is and yeah. trying to to address it and change it for the better whereas I mean, they, they still say on straight tiktok that like what they call pranks and stuff is it, basically just abuse yeah. and like toxic behavior and you're like are the straights okay no 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 they haven't mm-hmm. been for a long time there's and, a reason why i'm definitely not on straight tiktok um <laughs> and, and friends actually came a year after living single so that's why i'm saying like it it has nothing to do with the time that they've been released it has everything to do with who were the ones actually making the show yeah because i think like white people have lived in privilege this is going to get really deep and i am apologizing in advance but like white people have lived in a place of privilege for a really really long time and a lot of us are completely blind to our own behaviors being as toxic as they are Whereas other cultures who are on the receiving end of it a lot more and are aware of of how just how toxic they are and how toxic they have been for a lot longer than we have, I think they recognize it way better than we do mm-hmm. and have and it has influenced their their media for a really, really long time. I and, also think that there's less of a forgiveness for it from their perspective. We mm-hmm. play it off for a laugh, but if it were to happen there, they'd be like, oh, yeah, of course, because this is, you know, a a black man, we can't have that. And it has way more connotations on top of it. So the exact same script, if acted by someone of a different race, is going to have all the cultural connotations, and they're going to be really negative. Any imagine if it was like an entire Hispanic cast on Friends. Like, imagine if these different dramas were happening, what would be the reviews and assumptions made? They would they would not be, oh, Ross. It wouldn't be like that. It would just, oh, gosh. Yeah, so this has strayed quite far into the yeah. land of TV. Yeah. 
Yeah. But <laughs> I, I mean, this is this is covered quite a lot, but I, I think it does address mostly what we've been trying to cover with this particular discussion is that like these are the top 100 films as of 1998 and 2007 by one group of people that is pretty obviously very biased and we're trying to break away from that bias and trying to understand where there's so much more potential for really great movies for fantastic storytelling for fantastic representation fantastic technical expertise that we are just not covering yet and Mm -hmm. we need to start addressing it and even in our our television discussions like that is what we're we're basically leaning on here so what are some of the films that you would like to see added Surprisingly, there's actually one film that I was, it's been in my head for a bit because I think it, it kind of calls out what it's like to be a fan of something. Mm -hmm. And that's Galaxy Quest. Mm -hmm. It's not like, it's, it's definitely a cult classic, I believe. It didn't win a lot of awards. It didn't really receive a lot of critical recognition, but it's a movie that was made by people who appreciated things like Star Trek and Star Wars in their youth. And it was made not to poke fun at the people who loved these things and the people who made these things. It was literally a love letter to anything and everything around the sci-fi television genre. Yes. And I think that that movie says more about what it's like to be a fan as well as what it's like to just experience something that you never thought could exist. It's And it's done in both com- a comedic and a hugely dramatic way. Lives are lost, hearts are broken, and and like it, it, it battles are won. And it's just fascinating. And I think it's a fascinating, fantastic movie. And I think it, it, it could, it doesn't have to be ranked high. <laughs> I, I mean, again, I we're, we that. aren't recommending they rank him. We just they put him on the list alphabetically. Ranking is is dumb, but yeah, putting him I, in the top one hundred, I agree because that film, beyond anything, is showing the impact that the genre that these films shows everything have on people, and letting those who are the creators, the contributors realize that it it wasn't just a a stupid acting job it wasn't just some like gimmicky campy thing it changed lives that's what happens with star trek star wars galaxy quest doctor who babylon 5 stargate atlantis stargate sg1 like all these battlestar galactica they've impacted so many people that it's changed our expectations i mean the modern inventions that we have the automatic sliding doors uh cell phones all the computers tablet computers so many of these things were inspired by sci-fi and it's because the people who saw these were touched by it then they went into technology they went into the the areas that allow them to invent the things that they saw when they were obsessed with the show so yeah it's the it's the imagination and innovation marrying together and that's what i think sci-fi is is been breeding but i yeah i i 100 agree that this 
this film was showing how something like the Galaxy Quest fictional television show that existed in this realm mm-hmm. like had only been on for one season, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? And it ended on a cliffhanger. And they're still having conventions 20, 30, 40 years after it was airing. And they've got young fans coming up yep. talking to them about the show. That is crazy. Yeah. Because like, that's like the Firefly conventions. It's 100% is like Firefly. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's definitely told in a way that shows absolute deference and absolute respect to the fans and to the people who made these things. In spite of the, they, they showed that deference by showing the contrast of those who were mocking them. Yeah. And making fun of them and then show that that isn't the majority. So that was that was very well done. I agree. I second that vote. <laughs> what What's one on your list? Paris is Burning. I haven't seen it. So it's a definitely something that we should have or everyone should see. But it's the the voguing community. And it is the it, it is LGBTQ. It's very inclusive, highly competitive, but also very supportive. And it's giving a human lens to the people who participate and it's not othering them. It's fascinating. I learn so much. It's from 1990, 1991. I don't know. Sometime in the early 90s. And I I also think that we don't have enough LGBTQ representation on this list. So I agree. We we you put that in there. If you don't want that one, put Tu Wu Feng. Thanks for everything, Julie <laughs> Newmar. Wang Fu. Wang Fu. Tu Wang Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Yes. <laughs> Wu Feng. Wang Fu. You know what I meant. Yes. That movie is fantastic. It's, Rest in peace, Robin Williams and Patrick Swayze. And and Chris Penn. It, a lot of people died in that movie. Oh my god. So um, that one is another that it has a lot of very interesting perspective, and I guess for me. One of the points that these films are making is they are cultural commentaries. The Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, that one is more showing that a lot of the dislike or misunderstandings are just from lack of exposure. People have never seen somebody, so they're just getting everything from a sermon or from a radio show or from what they see on Hollywood, what they hear from their buddy down at the bar. and to them these people are just like alien they aren't understanding of their people and yeah, then and when they start getting to know them and realizing that there's something in common that they are genuinely good people they're like why why are we fighting and they're like yeah why are we fighting <laughs> yeah i i think that movie is great it's i love the fact that like everyone in the town except for stalker channing Mm-hmm. like was totally convinced that these were all these were all women showing up in their town needing their car fixed but stalker channing at the very end reveals that she recognized that they have adam's apples and that she is a hundred percent aware of what these people are of who these people are and that she wasn't going to call it out mm-hmm. she wasn't going to make a big deal about it but when it seemed like Patrick Swayze's character was going to reveal what they were, what they truly were. She was like, nah, you don't need to tell me. I know you're, Mm -hmm. I'm a very lucky woman to have a woman who happens to have an Adam's apple. 
mm-hmm. you know, as a friend. Mm-hmm. Like, you're a very good friend, and I hope you come back. And everybody else, when they finally figured it out, they're all like, I mean, they've been nothing but nice. I don't know why we got to vilify them. So, like, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was it was so, so fantastic. And the only two people that were, like, the villains of the film were made villains from moment one, just yes. on who they were. Yeah. And they never, never redeemed themselves. What other film do you think should be added? Oh, goodness. There's so many films that... There's... I think there's a, a little known movie that really, really impacts me closely. It's called Bang Bang You're Dead, and it's based very loosely off of a play by the same name. I think I've seen that one. I, I know Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> yeah, very different film. This, I think, was an indie film. The one name that I know from it is Ben Foster. He plays the main main character. Essentially, it's a film about a high school kid who has been ostracized for basically for just existing he's been bullied and tortured and he's in a film class taking films of these people doing all these things and he was suspended for a really long time based off of a film that he turned in the previous year which made it look like he was going to murder one of the popular jocks Mm. on in the school and he's struggling with himself this entire time and the drama teacher recognizes what he's going through kind of recognizes the struggle and is trying to get him to play the lead in the play bang bang you're dead to point out to him the path that he's going down and where it could lead yeah okay and it's it's a fascinating examination of what kids in high school kind of go through on a daily basis and what the teachers and parents are completely oblivious to because they just won't listen and it also this was after the school shootings in america had started but it was before a lot of the big ones in more recent years and there is is a very triggering scenario because the kid falls in with a bad crowd and they have access to a lot of guns and they decide that they're going to go in and shoot up the school. And this main character, played by Ben Foster, is the only person that actually calls out to the teachers. Like, he actually becomes friends with this teacher and says, listen, these guys are coming. They are coming with guns. You need to evacuate the entire school. And he helps stop the shooting before it starts. Okay. It's well, very idealistic. But it sounds like it's a... It's- good commentary it's it's powerful and i it's like almost never shown on any of the streaming services it was something that i had to hunt down back when when netflix did just the dvds i highly recommend watching it and just know that it is exceedingly triggering to some people even before sandy hook which really really impacted my life directly like this movie made me cry on a couple of occasions so just know that there are there are moments in that movie that are very, very powerful and they do not pull their punches when it comes to like suicide attempts, gun violence, bullying, just a whole number of, of things going through. It sounds like a very interesting film. It it doesn't necessarily hit all of the markers they have for what makes it one of the top one hundred, but it sounds like it probably needs to be better circulated because it yeah. has a I lot think, of cultural impact. I think it's definitely cultural impact and historical significance. And I think it's, for me, it's something that's really, really powerful that 
not enough of people have seen. And I think if they had the discourse over bullying to start would also change as well as just empathy all around. I agree that that one definitely needs to be something that more people are going to be seeing. So I have another two that I really wanted to mention. One that's a little more emotional and one that I think had some really interesting like technology and cultural impact that is not necessarily serious. So the first is The Color Purple. That is one of my all-time favorite films. No. Oh my god. Yep. And it is a... You know, heart-wrenching book, heart-wrenching story, but it is such a beautifully acted and completed story. Oprah Winfrey's character did, she did amazing. Whoopi Goldberg, it's it's a story of, like, survival through abuse and just love overcoming things, love of self, love of your community. It's, it's, oh, it's just amazing. So now I've that. never I've never seen that movie, but that is basically Danny Glover is an abusive older husband to Whoopi Goldberg, who's young. Correct. That's one component. Yes. One component. OK. There is... I, like I said, I haven't seen it, but like that's that's the one part that I remember. The amount of abuse that she faces starts so young from her father and goes mm. on throughout her whole life until she liberates herself, basically. It's, it's a phenomenal story, but it is a story of pain. And it is very hard to watch at times. But very, very well done. And the last one, total, total tone shift, is Who Framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> okay. Oh, no. Sorry. Like, I, of course I had the dip scene in my head. Just <laughs> yeah, which is, also, oh. which is also very sad. But... That let's talk about top 180s movies that just completely scarred us as children. <laughs> well, 90s, that, I guess that film is one that, first of all, the technology of having the animation and live action is like awesome. There's you know, other well, I mean, films, they had been they had the films done that have done prior. that, yeah, they've, they've had others that have done that. that I think Cool World is one that comes to mind. I'm thinking way back. I'm thinking Mary Poppins. Yes. And wasn't wasn't uh, Pride of the South or whatever it was? Oh, no. Uh, Song of the South? Song of the South. Thank you. Ooh. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of them like, oh, that's the one with Br'er Rabbit, right? Yeah, there's a reason why that sucker isn't freely available for purchase. But so I, I think Roger Rabbit maybe a comedy but i find it to be more evocative and innovative than mary poppins like mary poppins was you know great for what it was it was whimsical it was whimsical and it had some commentary but first of all it was it was like more british focused british british culture british children all that but also the story and the plot and the 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 goop and the loss and how there was the the struggle of identity being whether you're a cartoon or a human and that whole bit that that was an like a really interesting take been if we were in a world where we were literally living with cartoons versus oh yes we're singing a song and magically dancing and there's penguins 
So I mean, that's actually that's actually a good point because while Mary Poppins was aimed specifically towards children and was very very whimsical and meant to be you know just light and fun, Who Framed Roger Rabbit dealt with many adult themes mm-hmm. like when when Bob Hoskins' character had to go and take pictures of Jessica Rabbit playing patty cake yep. with a strange man and like it's clear what they were intending while mm-hmm. they didn't show anything like it but like you you know what they're talking about but the struggle of identity the struggle with like oh god just the just my oh i'm sorry i can't the fact that, that was christopher lloyd he is amazing <laughs> just just the bit with the dip the that is yep. a terrifying terrifying scene haunts me is why i haven't watched that movie in a really long time is because if i did watch it again i'd have to fast forward through that because i can't watch that bit again (laughs) i don't like it when innocent helpless creatures suffer terribly i can't do it so you're you're very in tune and that that it makes sense you're a good person It's, it's just that I the poor little shoe. I yeah. mourn that shoe every day. <laughs> but actually, yeah, that is a, is really, that's really, I think, a very interesting take. And I think it would be interesting to see that on this list because of the adult themes that it covers. Mm-hmm. That's, I wasn't, I wasn't blowing smoke <laughs> when I'm thinking it would be a good thing <laughs> on the list. So th- those are, those are my suggestions. Um, you know, any, any last ones for you? Honestly, I didn't really think too hard on this. The two that I came up with, like Galaxy Quest has been on my mind. It's it's almost always on my mind because I think it's 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 appreciated only by the people who really understand it and mm-hmm. like not a lot of people know about it and they just kind of like, "Eh, it's just a sci-fi movie." Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> the late great Alan Rickman played a fantastic character in that yes, you, he did. oh my god it's so star-studded and it's so ridiculous and wonderful yes it is i could do an entire an entire day just talking about that movie there are so many movies that i have watched that i absolutely love it's hard for me to rank them all and a lot of a lot of the ones that i would want to put on this list would be things that i'd have to really really think about like i for a second i was like what if we added Black Panther to the list? Then I was like, I don't know if that would fit well, but I think that that was just a fantastic film all around. I think um, it would because it was the first of the live action superhero films and it was one of the first massively black ensemble cast. I think yeah. there's only two white like named white actors like white characters in the whole thing and yeah actually martin freeman and oh Andy Serkis. yeah and so th- that's that's definitely groundbreaking and it was like the box office numbers were insane it was breaking records left right and center so i think that definitely is something to put on the list yeah i think it would be i think it was just beautiful it was the story was was wonderfully told and chadwick boseman's portrayal of the character was fantastic the fact that he specifically when when they were when they were telling him like oh here's what we want from the character and he 
specifically, I think he auditioned with an African accent mm-hmm. rather than with a British accent that they were expecting. He's like, but why Why would I be speaking in a British accent if we were never colonized by the British? Mm-hmm. Like, we are powerful because of our own advancements. Therefore, we are going to speak in our language. Yep. And I'm like, that makes a good fucking point. <laughs> like, why Why the hell would they be speaking in a British accent? Like, just the, the little details that they were making. The, the wall of um, the tribes mm-hmm. standing there to watch the fights happen and the, the coronation happen and everything. Just the, all of the different tribes, the costuming. The costuming. The music. Exactly. My God. It was just a fantastic, fantastic. And the 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 CGI, the use of CGI for the set design, the way they literally created a world, a futuristic Africa that was inspired by their lore, their legends, their stories, and create like pushed forward to modern times. It, yeah, their culture, their mm-hmm. location, like exactly. they they completely their cities don't look like New York for a reason. Yeah, they didn't build skyscrapers. They they not did, like ours. but not like ours. Well, yeah. not like ours. Yeah. Like the fact that one of them looked, if I can remember correctly, one of them kind like of looked tree. like a big sacred tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's fascinating how that how they would have done that. Like that's I, love it. I think that movie should definitely be on the list. I think. Of all of the Marvel movies that are out there, I think that's definitely the one. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think we have a solid, solid additions to put on the list. <laughs> yeah. And they hit a bunch of different points. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Oh, I mean, I think we've kind of gone on a little longer and off on some weird tangents, but they've all tied into what our main point where we're just saying this, this list is not representative of the greatest and I, it can be approved and to be the greatest needs to be inclusive and lift up the voices that are not always heard because just by being on the list, a movie is going to be seen more. And that's that's true. The whole reason I watched some of the movies that I watched was because they were on this list. I never would have thought about them otherwise. Yeah. And some of them I regret. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we've really hit hit this. And maybe one of these days you and I are going to have to do like our top 100 list. Just That's for... what I was thinking. Like, yeah, we. I think this could really be an interesting recurring topic that we discuss where we can specifically pick out like three or five of the movies that are on the list that we want to break down or just do a a whole series of episodes where we just break down the ones that we think should be alphabetically of course because ranking them is annoying yeah apples and oranges and cherries and whatever that other guy said yeah so i had a lot of fun with this conversation this one was a really good topic if you are interested in in checking out the afi lists you can find them at afi.com their lists specifically are on afi.com slash afi lists and you can also google them because they're like talked about all over the place by other people as well <laughs> and funnily enough we didn't even hit on some like it hot which is one of my favorite movies i love uh, the movie but so much another day. 
the ending literally one of my favorite endings of all it's, of it's all so films. great because you don't know maybe jack <laughs> lemon is going to pursue being in that kind of a relationship who knows read the fan fiction it's very happy endings if you guys have any other recommendations or like comments on the existing list films you think should be added or specific films that should be removed, let us know. Love to hear from you. You can email us at chronicmediaconsumption at gmail.com, or you can send us a tweet at chronic underscore media, or we're also on Instagram. Uh, Kelly does such a good job of actually posting stuff that's, you know, hey, we're, we have another episode. So follow us on there, message us, comment, a chronic underscore media pod. Yeah, let us know which movies would be on your list. If you have different types of lists that you want us to cover, definitely let us know. We're we're looking for some engagement here. We want to know that people actually listen to us. Um, though we are getting... We're not just shouting into the void. We are getting comfortable with the void, though. He's he's a, he's a good friend now. Void is nice. He, he chats. He chats yeah. a bit. Void the void. Yeah, so thank you again for joining us. We're going to have some more fun episodes and probably have some more in-depth analyses like we've been doing as we go through this so definitely tune in every other wednesday yeah we'll try not to have any more random hiatuses but who knows life woo (laughs) (laughs) technical difficulties hey (laughs) yeah so thank you again for joining us at chronic media consumption i'm still michelle and i am still kelly Thank you, and bye bye <laughs> Every time. <Yes. laughs>